The Lord be with you. This is the, uh, the order of service that we're going to work to. Uh, whether we do or not, of course, is different now. Uh, I've, got, I've, I've, I've come from uh, Trinity Church this morning, uh, and I uh, brought Anne with, with me. Uh, we kind of left that service halfway through, uh, and uh, today we're therefore bringing you the greetings of uh, Trinity Church in Fishermead. So Trinity Church is, uh, is within the Woofton Ecumenical Parish, and there are five churches within that ecumenical parish, and we are one of them. Uh, I think uh, this morning, when Anne and I left, uh, there were two Europeans and the rest were African. Uh, so we, 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 we have a, a, a different kind of understanding, and we have a different worship style there, and uh, we call it Trinity style. In other words, if things go wrong, don't worry, because nobody will notice. Well... Hopefully, you're not going to be as discerning as, as, uh, as uh, some others. Uh, and, uh, you know, if things go wrong, well, we'll, we won't notice. Okay? <laughs> so, um, because it's uh, an African congregation, um, I, I, I want to say to you, couché. And you can all say couché back. And couché is Sierra Leonean uh, for hello. Okay? And for those who want uh, 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 the Lingala language, I can say to you, uh, Umboto Nobino Yonso. Okay, have you got that? Umboto Nobino Yonso. Okay. Oh, we've got a translator at the back. Go on then, say, let's see, he w- see what I've said. Hello to everybody. So I'm pleased I've been saying that right. <laughs> uh, and uh, well, let's remind ourselves why we are here. It's very easy to, to suddenly come into a, a congregation with other people and, and, and sit down and just let it happen. But I don't want you to just let it happen. I want you to meet with somebody who is very important. The most important one you can ever meet. And he is Jesus Christ our Lord. He's here. His presence is here. He's not only here, but he's here. He's here. And so I want us to recognize that he is here. And therefore, let's just take a a short time to recognize personally that he's here with us. So now let's, uh, let's move on to our call to worship, which uh, I've taken from Psalm 22 this morning. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I 
will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. Fear him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised nor abandoned the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried out to him, he heard. Well, this is the time and this is the place uh, in which we praise our God and his holy name. He is our rock. He is our redeemer. He is our rescuer. He is our hope. He is our help. He is our heart. He is our friend, our future. He is our faithful one. He is our light. He is our life. He is our love. We can't do without him. So we come to celebrate the warmth of his welcome and the strength of his goodness. We come to worship. Therefore, let us pray. Gracious Lord, we welcome you afresh into our hearts and lives today. We pray that we may have a real sense of expectation as we look to your coming kingdom. Just like people long ago, we don't always understand as we should, and our praise can be short-lived and superficial. So we ask that you would take the faith we offer, weak as it may be, and make it something much deeper. Please create in us a clean heart and put a right spirit in us. In the name of Christ we ask it. Amen. So we're going to uh, sing our first hymn, uh, Faithful One. Oh, 
Well, just before Anne comes up, I think we've got uh, uh, two particular uh, things to uh, notice. And uh, one is a surprise to someone. Yes, I, I love coming up here and, and giving surprises. Um, uh, th- this person does know because I, I, I know she doesn't like surprises. So a sort of half a surprise. But um, our dear friend Miriam was away on her 21st birthday. And, and so we thought we would love to remember it today. So Miriam... Happy 21st birthday. I'm not asking you to come out here. I will come to you as we sing happy birthday to Miriam. Could you start us off with that? Uh, oh, right. Okay. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Miriam. Happy birthday to you. Miriam, I can remember when you were 20. (laughs) Now, actually, we have a second birthday. Um, Gosh. Jill, thank you. Jill. So, uh, it's not your birthday? It is. Tomorrow. 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 Well, that counts. That counts, yes. So, same note, okay? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Jill. Happy birthday to you. It's mine tomorrow. No, no. Right, well, it's, it's going to be my privilege now to uh, introduce a certain lady whose name is, has appeared on the, the screen now, and, and uh, Bottomley. It's, it's not Bothamley, is it? Bothamley. Bothamley. That's a third interpretation. <laughs> well, we had a little chat beforehand, but I recognised you first, uh, because I, I've seen you, I think it was at a Baptist Union assembly a number of years ago, and uh, I recognised that you had done some, some work in India. And uh, shortly after that, uh, I went to Kolkata and uh, participated with the, the BMS, operating with, uh, with street children uh, in the city there. Uh, and before that, I'd been to Thailand. So I was getting further and further away from England. I was wondering what people were saying, you know. But, but uh, it's going to be our pleasure now, I can tell, that you're coming up here... Uh, to tell us whether you are a short-term or a long-term missionary and servant of God. So, welcome. Anne. How to convey more than 50 years of working in South India to some of you who will not have any idea where the Christian Medical College in Vellore is. 
So maybe it would be good to have a map. Oh. Pardon? Okay. It just says not, not, not on here. So I was wondering whether it was working. <coughs> the Christian Medical College Hospital is a large teaching hospital situated 90 miles from Chennai and 120 miles from Bangalore. We have over 800 doctors, so you can imagine how many nurses, technicians, and other staff there are. We see 8,000 outpatients every day, and they come from all parts of India, from Nepal, from Bangladesh, from Bhutan, the Arabian Gulf, and sometimes from Nigeria and Uganda. Those are some people who came from Nigeria. Why do they come? They come because they've heard that we care. I went to Valor when I was 27 years old under the auspices of the Baptist Missionary Society. I traveled by ship as the Suez Canal was closed in 1968, and the journey took more than six weeks. I trained at St. Thomas's Hospital in London, completed midwifery in Glasgow, tropical diseases, and a year at a missionary training college, besides working as a night sister for a year in a large hospital in Croydon. Over the years, God has led and guided me through joys and sorrows, through health and sickness. I've had many professional opportunities, starting specialist units like coronary care, renal transplant, and bone marrow transplant, training and equipping Indian staff, designing and planning. I even worked in the laundry with 12 medical students and an Australian colleague during a strike. Now having retired at 60, I'm a bit older than that now, which all staff had to do, I've continued to counsel and support hematology patients and their families, walking the long journey with them. I celebrate with them, I listen, I pray, and I wait with them too. Often patients ask me, why have you come to India, and why have you stayed so long? And I'm able to tell them that God sent me to share his love with them, because that was what he asked me to do. Over the years, I've taken Bible studies for student nurses with an Australian colleague, about 30 nurses sitting on the floor in our two-bedroom flat. I had the privilege of taking Bible studies each week in a sweeper's village, sitting on a mud floor with a thatched roof and watching the rats running along the low walls. We had the light of a Petromax lamp, which hung from the roof and needed to be pumped up every so often. I've nursed a newborn baby in a poor home, sitting cross-legged on the floor. Half the cardboard roof was missing. It was Christmas Day, and I thought maybe this, this was the earliest and the nearest that I would ever get to understanding how Jesus was born. After long days in the hospital, God had further plans. When realizing the needs of remote mission hospitals, 
where Indian doctors and others were concerned about the education of their children. My Australian friend and I took three little girls into our two-bedroom flat. This was the beginning of a home away from home. And we stepped out in faith. Amazingly, and it really surpasses all possible knowledge, we bought land, funds came from all over the world. It was God's project, not ours. And the story of his provision is a story of incredulity. This is where Clem and Elaine Mason came twice to help me. That was working um, when I was a nursing sister. And that's the hostel. Many of these children are married now, and they are following Jesus. They have children of their own. Some of them are doctors, public health workers, nurses. And on Sunday mornings, sorry, <laughs> yes, many of them are there working for Jesus. One is a writer of Christmas, uh, Christian drama. And now I have 20 grandchildren. I don't know whether any of you have that m number, but it's quite a lot to remember all their birthdays. There's some of them, some of them, the older boys talking to me, and uh, there's a, a, a small group of them there um, with Marlene, who is my colleague and friend. So what has God taught me over all these long years? I've made mistakes. I've experienced loneliness, frustration. I've had to learn that I live in a different culture where my way is not always the best way. I have learned that God requires faithfulness and perseverance when the way forward seems hard and when weariness and heat overcome me. I've learned that God's plans and purposes are way beyond mine. They are so much greater, yet his faithfulness to me is never-ending. And just occasionally, he sends that encouragement which I need so much. A letter from the Arabian Gulf. In Bible class, you planted the seeds in my heart. They have grown and flourished, and I'm following Jesus. I just wanted you to know. Those are some of the class that I took away on retreat and do so every other year or so. And um, there we are away in Bangalore on a, on a retreat. Or, if I don't get messages like that, there'll be one of my teenagers of the first action team that I ever participated and taught from BMS when I was in, in um, Calcutta. One of those young men I learned only a few weeks ago is now the director of a renowned missionary organization in this country. But now just two stories, and I've changed the names of these people. Sundu was a Hindu guru or teacher who came from North India. He owned his own ashram and had traveled the world teaching reincarnation. 
He needed open-heart surgery, and he came to Valore. It was Christmas time. What were all these decorations, nativity scenes, and celebrations? I was able to explain to him what Christmas was all about. One day before Christmas, he came to the college campus and saw my name. He knocked on the door. We now had five children staying with us. Who are these children? He wanted to take us all out for a meal in the poshest hotel in the town. There was only one in those days. The only evening possible was the evening of the school Christmas play. So we invited him. Sundu sat there entranced, sitting beside me in his orange robes and woolly hat. He kept nodding. The play was excellent that year. He told me later, I believe. The next year he wrote to me for his checkup. He wanted a, a room at Christmas time. For the next two years, Sundu came to Valore at Christmas time, though he didn't need to come after the first year. He distributed cakes and juice in the children's ward. He gave lunch for all the leprosy patients and emptied decorations on the floor of my office. Some years later, he died. I wondered, I prayed, but I know that God knows. Recently, Rufus and Radhika came from a neighboring country. Rufus was an extremely intelligent man, holding an important position in his organization. Everything was strange and new, and he had only his wife with him. It was not long before he began to ask me questions. In our religion, there's so much hate but I've read some of your Bible, and Jesus talks only about love. Rufus had read widely, and I offered him a good news Bible, which he read avidly. He was anxious about his transplant, and so was his wife. They missed him and their two little girls. They missed their two little girls terribly. I offered to pray with them, and did so each day at their request. Things failed to go smoothly after the transplant, but our relationship grew. One day, feeling very tired, I felt I must go to the other side of the hospital and visit, because Rufus was in the ICU. I found Radhika alone, waiting outside. She was desperate for news. I enfolded her in my arms, and she sobbed. I told her that I would go and see Rufus. The news was good, and she felt consoled. Later in the ward, Rufus told me that he'd had a dream. Jesus was standing before me. He just said, come stretching out his arms towards me. And then the dream faded. Rufus then told me, to change our religion in my country means. That's all he needed to say or do. Our relationship has grown, and they long for me to visit them in their own country. 
I wonder, I pray, and I trust that God knows. I have to live often without seeing, without knowing. But I know that I have to love, and often when it hurts. The last three years have been some of the hardest I've known, as they have been for so many around the world, and for you too, I know. Often isolated from the hospital because of my age and gray hair, I had to spend many months alone, when all I wanted to be was to be there in the hospital with the overworked staff caring for patients. I occupied my time sorting my files, as well as sweeping and mopping, preparing for my Zoom class, for Bible, Bible class, and all the chores that are necessary without anyone to help me. I suffered one physical ailment after the other. I read the Psalms and I cried out to God as David did. And then before the second wave hit, I was back again in hospital, only to be again banned. At least I could walk around our campus. I wrote, I spent time with God, but two long hot summers have sapped my energy. And over all this was the anxious long wait for a visa. Seven long months with 20 letters and documents requested. I thought of Paul, chained to a Roman soldier and battled with God. I battled with him. Why did all this have to be so difficult? Why was, where was he in all this mess? And yet every day, God gave encouragement. It might be a verse of a hymn, long forgotten, passages from the Bible. How good that over the years I had hidden so much in my heart from his word. My Indian friends were amazing, providing me with food and supplies every week. One of them phoned me every single day. I found it all hard to understand, but I knew that God was with me as he had promised. Each time I'm able to return to England, I revel in the trees, the wildflowers, the green fields, and vast areas of unspoiled countryside where I can even be alone. That's not possible in India. But each time God has called me back, another project, which I hope to show a slide of, but I'm afraid it's not there. Somehow it's disappeared. Those are just my sixth form group that I was teaching and counseling at the Idaskada School. Each time, yes, God has called me back. Another project, Bridge House. If you want to know more about it, you can talk to Clem and Elaine because they know probably more than anyone, and you can talk to me. Yes, God has called me back. Called me back to lizards and snakes and cockroaches and ants. 
but more than anything to people who need so much to know and see God's love and to experience it in action. Wherever we are, God asks us to be obedient, to be faithful. We never know what spiritual fruit will come from friendship, from relationships made, and conversations that we've had. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 10, it says, This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness. From the time I left England, and long before that, God had given me a promise. Not only a promise, but a command. From Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. May this be your calling too and his promise to you. So I've got that a little bit later on my uh, my order of service. So we're going to do a Trinity style. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Anne. I think that uh, what you've said can lead us into into prayer. So let's uh, let's pray. Father God, thank you that you have a heart for us, and we want to thank you for the BMS. And for the faith, the hope, and the passion that it displays in our world. Thank you too for Anne, and for those whom you have called to work at home and abroad to further the work of your gospel. Thank you for the trust of the workers, their trust that you will accompany them on their different journeys into the unfamiliar and the unknown, where the path can be steep and uncertain. Thank you for the way you graciously grant opportunities for faith to become a matter of practical application, often in complex situations where people are fragile, confused, and hurting. Thank you that you show us how your love can change the world. And thank you that you give us the joy of participating with you in your healing work of salvation. Lord, in our own lives, we often seem to walk with our heads down and only see the ground and not much more. Help us to lift our heads, our eyes, and our thoughts to you so that we can see what is really happening 
and who needs helping, and how we can serve you by bringing your blessings to life for others. God of love, as we look at our world, we can see so much turmoil. And so we continue to pray for the places that are torn apart by conflict, places such as Myanmar, Iraq, Syria, Jordan, the Lebanon, Palestine and Israel, Afghanistan, Yemen and the Ukraine. In each of these places there are both the hungry and the homeless, the persecuted and the oppressed, so many who need safety and shelter. There are others whose rights are denied, and there are places where truth cannot be spoken because the dissenting voices are silenced. Lord, we call out to you that in your mercy and love you would bring healing and hope to all of these people. But we pray also for the needs of our own communities, for those whose family experiences are about the pressures of rising bills, of debts mounting up, families who have nowhere to turn and are feeling keenly the fears and the distress that accompany these things. Lord, may your love seep into the lives of these people. They need to know today that they are loved. So where it is possible... Let us be the bearers of good news and practical blessings so that physically, spiritually, emotionally and socially this whole area may experience healing and hope. And now following the teaching of our Lord Jesus, we pray as he taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Now, somewhere in here is an order of service. So, uh, right, so, I think we're with you now. <laughs> so, if the junior church... Not today. Right? We can, we can move on then, and we will sing together. <laughs> How deep the Father's love for us. How deep the Father's love for us.
for the blessings that you give to us into our lives blessings that we can share and so we joyfully give you this offering today the offering that is uh, provided uh, by bank <coughs> accounts and uh, by the, the hard work of human hands we uh, offer it to you Lord because we know that you can utilize it for your amazing work in this world and so please do Lord Please receive it. Please use it for your glory. In and through the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So I think we're now at the stage of uh, hearing our reading, which is going to be taken from the Gospel according to Luke and chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, and we're starting at verse 26. Jesus and the disciples sailed to the region of the Gazarenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. 
When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gazarenes asked Jesus (coughs) to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. Amen. I don't know how how familiar that passage is to you. I think it's a really well-known passage. And the problem with the passage to me is that when we come to that passage, we approach it with our particular cultural identity and our own perceptions. We've heard it numerous times. It's as though, actually, the passage doesn't hit us where it's meant to hit us. It doesn't touch us where it's meant to touch us. And so we've got to do some research. (laughs) And uh, I want to try and place it in a a slightly wider context for us. Uh, So here's a, a quick resume, I hope, of some of the action that has already taken place in the Gospel according to Luke. Jesus has been baptized in the River Jordan, and he has been driven into the wilderness. And there we are told that uh, there are spiritual and supernatural oppositions to him. He faces them, 
Actually, the devil arrives and tries to destroy the Lord's mission at its commencement. We recognize in this that the devil knows exactly who Jesus is, and he tries to tempt Jesus to subtly cause him to deviate from and fail in his kingdom mission. But the devil was unable to defeat him. So the devil left him until an opportune time. And it's that, right from there, that our passage starts to form. We read that passage about the wilderness temptations as though, actually, it's a kind of a make-believe. It's a little story that's being given to us and our minds can play around with it, but actually it's for them of the, in the past. It's a figment of the imagination concerning an unreal realm. But this is actually an amazing introduction for us to the powers and dimensions that exist about us And beyond our sight. Jesus of Nazareth. Well. Yes he went to Nazareth. After uh, his wilderness experience. And he experienced. Strangely. Further opposition. That somehow turned the whole crowd of people. Who had come to listen to him in Nazareth. From supporting him. To rejecting him. In his own town. The people took offense at him, and suddenly they became furious at him, driving him out of Nazareth with the full intent of murdering him by throwing him over the cliff. But Luke reveals that there is some form of supernatural mystery, and he tells us that Jesus walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I think that that's meant to hit you from the scripture. It's a strange statement to say after what had just been described about what was going on in Nazareth. He then went to Capernaum, did Jesus, where he encountered a man with an unclean spirit. And Jesus told the spirit to come out of the man. The spirit threw the man onto the floor. And then it was gone. The townsfolk knew there was an uncontrollable spiritual disturbance in that man until Jesus came with amazing power and authority. After that, in chapter 6, verse 18, Luke tells us that other people had been troubled by impure spirits and they were cured by Jesus too. In chapter 7, Well, that includes a passage about the faith of a Roman centurion. He had worldly status, worldly power, worldly authority under Caesar. He commanded hundreds of soldiers in order to make Caesar's name and Caesar's will a reality wherever he went. However, this centurion knew that neither he nor Caesar could heal his own servant. 
That needed a very different authority. It needed a power and authority that was higher than his own and higher than Caesar's. The centurion remarkably sees that Jesus is the one vested with the status, the power and the authority to achieve the will of the one who sent him. So despite the centurion's servant not even being physically present, he asks Jesus to say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus sees the centurion's great faith. He says the word and the servant is healed. Chapter 8 starts by indicating that Jesus was on a preaching tour accompanied by the disciples and by a group of women. Some of these women were specifically described as having been healed of diseases or otherwise cured from evil spirits. And Mary Magdalene is specifically described as having been cured of seven evil spirits. What relief she must have obtained. A new life. A new life. And then Jesus decides to go to cross the, uh, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It's a strange and eventful crossing. Jesus goes to sleep and he seems to carry on sleeping despite the fact that the wind became forceful and the raging sea was swamping the boat so that it was in serious jeopardy of sinking with the lives of everybody on board. The disciples, who were experienced fishermen, they were certainly alarmed. They woke Jesus up saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. There's a sense that there is a power of a different order at work in the passage. It is unseen, acting in the background and capable of manipulating the natural elements into a destructive force opposing the Lord's progress, even even to the extent of drowning him and his disciples. Amazingly, Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves, and calm was restored. And the disciples asked each other, Who is this who commands even the wind and the violent waves? And they obey him. The disciples were both fearful and astonished by the awesome power and authority displayed by Jesus, bringing order out of chaos and controlling the raging powers existing in the universe. And he did it just by his word. This was the type of power and authority that had not been seen since the formation of the world. Luke has carefully recorded this background of supernatural and spiritual power at work. And our passage this morning immediately follows on. The storm has been controlled and the boat arrives at the other side of the Sea of Galilee in the land of the Gerasenes. 
As soon as Jesus has put his first foot on the ground, halfway out of the boat, he was met by a man who was agitated, angry, and exhibiting symptoms of great distress and disturbance. Apparently, this man had lived in the tombs for years. Actually, he could well have lived within them. And so we deduce that the local townsfolk lived in fear of him. But a tomb is not a threat to Jesus and his mission. For their own security, the townsfolk had succeeded in chaining the man by his feet and hands. And as a further measure of protection, they had placed him under some form of guard. Nevertheless, we are told that he frequently displayed a super strength that broke the chains and no doubt scared off the guards. And this super strength was attributed to an impure spirit and Luke fully accepts that account and gives it further credibility by recording that Jesus himself had commanded the controlling spirit to come out of the man even before that man had started to shout at him. Jesus also asked the man for his name and the response received seems to declare an intimidating and multifaceted non-human presence. My name is Legion. And other Bible verses also say, for we are many. We find out that this town in the Gerasenes had a, a large herd of pigs. It's a peculiar animal to herd. For Leviticus chapter 11 declares that for Jews, pigs are unclean and that their carcass must not be touched, nor their meat eaten. And this is repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 14. This is pertinent since that presence called Legion was expecting Jesus to order them into the abyss. So it asked Jesus to send it into the herd of pigs. And Jesus gave permission and the presence left the man and entered the pigs, and they couldn't cope, could they, those pigs, with the chaotic presence. And they fled down the hill and over the cliff to their death. Through this event, we learn that Jesus is fully aware of what to us are unseen presences. And they are very conscious of who Jesus is and how great he is. I wonder how we see the passage now. These unseen presences recognize the Lord's power and authority over them. They know that even a legion of them are nothing to Jesus, for he is supreme. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
The whole of creation was brought into being by just his word. And breaking chains isn't hard for him. We aren't told what characteristics Legion possessed. But we do know the characteristics of the powerful temptations and sins of our own time. We also know full well that when Jesus came into our lives, we saw that we had become slaves to our own legion. We suddenly saw all those subtle worldly powers that had conquered us and corrupted us with all that wretchedness over the years and made us hard-hearted, stiff-necked, obstinate, intolerant, rebellious, full of pride. Those were the unseen powers that controlled, bound, and enslaved each one of us with unseen chains of shame. At times, some of us felt so dead in spirit that we were driven to desperation. We were driven to depression. We were driven to solitary places where we hid from others and hid from ourselves too. It took Jesus to come. Come to us and awaken us. And give us life again. He forgave us for getting entangled in wickedness and sin. And he showed us that he loves us. To the extent of paying for our freedom with his life blood. And through him we become the father's children. And we are given the finest new Royal clothes to wear. Not because we have earned anything. But because he loves us. Just loves us. Well the herdsmen in our passage ran off. And they told everyone what had happened. The townsfolk soon gathered. They milled around Jesus and they saw the man sitting at the feet of Jesus. He was now dressed. His immediate needs had been catered for. And perhaps this is what we are called to do. To see others as being extremely valuable to God. To meet them with open acceptance and to compassionately meet their basic needs. Years ago, it was said to me that every church must try to meet the five basic physical needs of people. Shelter, warmth, food, clothing, and friendship. It was also observed that it was only as the church became obedient to that calling that non-believers started to listen to the claims of the gospel. Ours is not a gospel that promises worldly riches or status. But it is one that promises to change our lives, 
through the transformation of our minds and our spiritual health. The townsfolk in Gerasenes saw the healed man dressed totally free from those intimidating powers. They also saw that he was at peace with a new life ahead of him. He's also described as being in his right mind. Isn't that just the condition that the whole world needs? I commend that phrase as being well worth praying regularly for family, for friends, for governments, for prime ministers, for nations, for continents, that we may all be in our right minds, sitting at the feet of Jesus, our Lord and our Redeemer, learning from him, living for him, Serving for him. Our passage that was read by Clem concludes with two decisions. And they are opposite decisions. The healed man, well, he he didn't want to leave Jesus. And he begged to accompany Jesus physically. Uh, But Jesus told him to return home and tell how much God has done for him. And that's what he did. In thanks and in loving obedience to the Lord, he spread the gospel of Jesus and his sovereign power. The other decision was made by the townsfolk. They didn't want Jesus to change their lives. They didn't want to accept him and his love for them. They wanted to go on just as they had done before. And they asked Jesus to get in the boat and leave town. Though Jesus doesn't want these people to drown in the sea of sin, we see that he does not use great power to force himself upon anyone. I'm sure his heart was sad at his rejection. And that uh, those people were just not willing to let him set them free from the controlling power over their lives. But I'm sure that Jesus would not and could not forget the healed man and his mission to that area. And Jesus doesn't forget us as we engage in our mission either. Now the same chapter later on continues. It continues, strangely enough, with mission. With the twelve being sent out to heal, to teach, and to cure from evil spirits. 
And a little later on, 72 were sent out. Or is it 70, depending on which variety of scripture you're reading. They were sent out with exactly the same mission. And they came back to Jesus and they said, Lord, it's as though we saw Satan falling to the ground. And shortly after that, you will come to the Acts of the Apostles and how the church in exactly that same missionary power moved onwards so that we here can be together worshipping the God and Saviour of the world. I think we move on into prayer straight away. So let's, let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you created the world generous, gracious and loving. Thank you that you strode through the world challenging and forgiving and healing. Thank you that your spirit moves across your world calling, beckoning, even dancing. And you send us out into the world, caring, listening, hoping, knowing that we need to respond, not just in our heads, but with our hearts, knowing that our prayers must begin in ourselves, not some simply in idle wishing, but in passionate action knowing that together we can still bring good news to those who need it most. Father God, walk with us as we act out our faith in your presence. And as we come together in preparation to receive communion, we continue in prayer. Lord God, we recognize and confess that we have lived superficially. We've not found time to face the emotions that disturb us, the questions that trouble us. We've hidden from life behind habit and activity and entertainment. And we have avoided you, Lord, even though you came after us. In our relationships, we have given less than our whole selves. And we have not received from others all that they wish to give of themselves to us. We have countered the sharp demands of justice with hardened hearts. We have allowed imagination and sympathy to wither. And routine has been our ally and honesty our dread. We have closed ourselves up, Lord. Please come after us again. Knock once more that we may open ourselves up to meet others, to rediscover ourselves, to know your love, and to live again. 
For we know that we have not loved one another as Christ has loved us. And we have not given ourselves in love and service for the world as Christ gave himself for us. Therefore, as individuals and as a church, we repent of all of our sins and ask for your forgiveness. Forgive what we have been. Help us to amend what we are and direct what we shall be. Send the Holy Spirit to us to give us power to live as you have called us to and to give glory to your name. So let's hear these words. To all and to each where regret is real God pronounces pardon and grants us the right to begin again. Lord, we give you thanks for your mercy and your forgiveness. Through Christ, our Savior. Amen. So we're going to sing now. I give you all the honor.
embarrass myself further by saying that I did remember that this way that you have been doing communion all these years, I instituted it. So, <laughs> dear, dear. to come. May God's word be the life we live. Amen. 